Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate, Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm John McFarlane and today I'm joined by the Don Quixote and Sancho Panza of Football Scotland. It's Adam Miller and Craig Williams. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm not saying which is which. On the pod today, we assess Derek McInnes' decision to sign a new contract with Aberdeen. We look at Rangers' new big money signing, Philip Hillander. We hark back to our memories of Shinsuke Nakamura as he signs a new contract with the club at age 41. And we talk to Pauline Hamill, Scotland's women's under-19 coach, as she prepares for the European Championship. Okay, well, Aberdeen have just announced in the last hour or so that Derek McInnes has signed on for another three years. Craig, you look back on his six years at the club to date, do you think he's been a successful Aberdeen manager? Most definitely. I think that in Derek McInnes, we've got one of the best young Scottish managers in, in football at the moment, and he's a manager that's been... I'm glad you think he's young at 48. <laughs> Makes know, me feel I better. Know, I know. <laughs> uh, well, he's, got, he's definitely got a good you know, 10... 15, 20 years ahead of Absolutely. If need be, he's a manager who's been uh, looked at for clubs down in the English Premiership and English Championship. And I think with Aberdeen, he's brought a level of stability to the club that maybe goes they haven't seen since back in the days of Alex Ferguson. You know, you look at Derek McInnes's uh, win ratio, he's in 298 games in charge, I think. He's had a 55% win ratio, which hasn't been done uh, since Alex Ferguson. So, yeah, you can say that he's not went very far in Europe with the club uh, as much as uh, the fans would like. But, I mean, second place finishes in the league, challenging for cups every year. Yeah. I think that he's definitely, you know, it's definitely a, a massive uh, boost to, to Aberdeen going forward that he's signed this deal. Adam, you're in touch with the Twitterati. What's the reaction been to this deal? Well, I've not been on Twitter for a couple of years, so it's news to me that he's not the Rangers manager. I just le- I just left Twitter when uh, Cashinha gets punted and I assumed McInnes took over did that not work out no apparently not <laughs> all right okay I should probably log on more um no uh I think from what I could see the reaction was quite positive of course there are always going to be some people agitating for change and I understand that McInnes has been there for a few years and there's nothing more exciting than a big shake-up at your club I completely understand that but I think uh McInnes as as unexciting as it is to say this you'd consider him a safe pair of hands. Um, he knows what the club's about. He's got the backing of the players, I would imagine. He's achieved a lot of success at the club. There have been moments where uh, they have disappointed, certain games at Hamden, for instance. Um, even last season, at times, their home form wasn't particularly great. But I think, in general, Aberdeen, um, I, I think they've made a sensible choice keeping McInnes on, and you could see that from the majority of the, the comments from fans on Twitter. Yeah, Adam's spot on. He's a safe pair of hands, isn't he? He keeps the club ticking over. They've got this massive uh, project with the new stadium and the new training ground there. And uh, who better to guide them into that situation than a guy who has been so stable for them in terms of securing them top four finishes since he arrived at the club? Um, Having said that, Craig, you look at the time that he has been at Aberdeen. And if you start to pick it apart, Rangers weren't there for four years... Hibs have been away for several years. Hearts were in the championship. Dundee United have spe- uh, spent a decent spell down there in the championship. Is there a sense that with all those clubs who have been going through significant financial and uh, playing turmoil, the big clubs in Scotland, the big city clubs, Aberdeen should have actually won more? Because they've only won one trophy in his tenure, which was the League Cup in 2014. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, I, I think with an element of the Aberdeen support, there'll definitely be a feeling of missed opportunity in one or two cups, cup finals that they played. I remember was it 2016, 2017, finished second in the league, both cup finals. They get beat off Celtic. You know, you you think that they might have went on to win one of those cups, but. Yeah. They went against such a good Celtic side, I suppose. That's the thing, yeah. You take away Rangers not being there, you take away Hibs and Hearts challenging, Dundee United being in the league, for example. You have to consider that we're, uh, they're playing against a Celtic team or challenging for the league and uh, silverware of a team who were absolutely fantastic and continue to be. So that's no disrespect to Derek McInnes. He's built a solid side. Uh, he's pushed on they've done very very well in the league and they've, they've found themselves in European competition but yeah obviously another another couple of trophies would look fantastic on his CV and it would even hold him in mortgage stead if he was to, like, to go down south uh, at some point in the near future but or uh, once his contract is up with Aberdeen uh, at the end in 2022 I think it is yeah absolutely but, well that's been six years so far Adam it'll be nine if he sees out this contract Um do you think there's a sense that Derek McInnes should have made a move to a bigger club by now? And there's obviously the, the situation with the Rangers, which you alluded to, but also Sunderland were interested in him. He, he arguably, dodged a massive bullet if anyone yeah. watched the Sunderland documentary yeah. uh, can testify. But he's 48. Um, I think he's going to be 49 this year. Uh, should he be thinking about testing himself at a, a bigger club or, or certainly a more a bigger environment, a bigger sporting environment? I'd be surprised if at the end of this current contract, so if he stays for the next three years, I'd be surprised if he signed another contract. I would imagine that McInnes at one point will want to test himself in that kind of environment. Totally would understand him doing that. And I think if he stays for the remainder of his contract, Aberdeen fans could have no complaints about him leaving after nine years. Certainly even at this stage, if he decided he didn't want to sign a new contract and left tomorrow, people would have understood that as well. Six years of service, absolutely take your hats off, uh, take your hat off to the guy. But I think uh, I think he still has plenty of time left in his career. As Craig was talking about, he's not he's not necessarily a spring chicken, but he's got still 15, 20 years left of managing at a reasonably high level. So he's he obviously feels he's got unfinished business at Aberdeen. We were talking about sort of disappointments they've had at Hamden and all the rest of it, but no team has a divine right to be in every cup final. Celtic are obviously the standard bearers and have been for a few years. But uh, just because Rangers weren't involved and just because some other sides weren't in the Premiership at the time, Aberdeen didn't have a divine right to reach every cup final and they certainly did not have a divine right to finish second every season. And yet McInnes guided them to so many second place finishes. Um, I think that is a real testament to his ability. And again, uh, I think that's players buying in to his style of management. So I think he'll still... Barring a major collapse in the next three years and his reputation being completely sunk, which I, I don't see happening, um, I think he'll still have the opportunity three years from now to maybe test himself at a championship club. Um, and I could I could see him doing that. It's a test for him, Craig, now to establish a more progressive style of play. Because the one criticism that you do hear from Aberdeen fans... And I think I've echoed on this podcast occasionally is Aberdeen can be quite a tough watch. They're, they're a team that, that are excellent on set pieces. They play the percentages very well. But often they can be quite direct. They can be very physical. And that's not a criticism. That's the style that he's chosen to play. But it's perhaps not always the most uh, pleasing on the eye. Is his next move to change that style of play 
and make it a little bit more attractive for, for the fans who are going to be presumably flocking to this Kingsford Stadium once it becomes open? It's a tricky one because that style of play is what's brought Aberdeen success and what's had them challenging for, uh, you know, first place finish in the league, finishing second in it for uh, Cups as well. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Aberdeen can be boring. I'm sure there's a section of the Aberdeen support which are crying out for a kind of maybe more of a, a flair type approach or to, to, to introduce a signing who gets on the ball, sprays it around and you know, is a bit more attractive on the eye because at the moment you've got you've 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 got the big men, you've got you've got Cosgrove, the target man. You've Maybe got Craig Bryson, the new signing, is the man to do that. Now they've got a, a midfield of uh, they've got Dean Campbell in there, they've got Lewis Ferguson in there, Bryson in there. That's guys who can get the ball down and play. True, yeah, I think you know McInnes is McInnes is a man who likes you know solidity, and as you said, he's a they're experts. I would in the. Uh, set pieces and dead balls but I think bringing in the likes of Bryson I think you can see that maybe perhaps McInnes is trying to go for something a bit more attractive and try and shake it up a bit because if you're playing that same style of football week in week out year after year then one thing is that your opponents will get wise to it and you know what you know what you're looking for so I think for his own benefit for the team they need to shake it up a little bit to try and try and find other avenues you know and try and try and uh, get results another way rather than just the, the stereotypical long ball or hit it up to Cosgrove and feed off second balls. Okay, we're going to move on to Rangers now and the signing of Philip Hellander, which we believe to uh, that will take place in the coming hours and certainly by, by tomorrow or the next day. Um, the Swedish international, 10 caps and uh, comes from Serie A, Bologna. Looks like a very, very impressive signing, especially given the size of the fee. Uh, talks today that um, it's going to be 4 million up front with two tranches of 1 million euros to take the fee to 6 million euros yeah I mean Rangers need a defender he seems to fit all the necessary key points that you need you know, he's a tall guy he's a, he's a seasoned international I think he was at the Euros with uh, Sweden and I think the way we should be looking at it is we should be comparing him with uh, Christopher Julian you know, who's signed for Celtic this is a guy who with Bologna finished 10th last year in the Serie A and he, he's not been regarded in the same way as Julian is you know Julian has been treated by the media as a kind of marquee signing whereas he was playing he's not had any international caps well not with the first team he's been with France under 20s he was signed for a fee of I think was it 7.2 million he was with Toulouse last year who finished 16th in the league and I would I would go on a limb and say the Serie A is a better, a better league than the, the French league is so I think he should be spoke about in the same terms and in the same light as Julian has been with uh, Juliet, sorry, with the, the Scottish media because he, he seems to be everything that uh, Rangers needs at the moment and he does look like a player, you know, there's no, there's no question about that. Left-footed as well, Adam, which gives Rangers the balance that they've been searching for in that defence. They've had a lot of right-footers in there. Um, this will mean that they can play Conor Goldson on the right-hand side and uh, they can play um, Hellander on the left. In the fact that, that, that this signing would mean that, that Steven Gerrard was getting fully f- backed by the boards, um, do you think it shows that Dave King has got an incredible level of trust in Mark Allen and Steven Gerrard now? Because that is a significant fee for Rangers to pay out in the context of the last 10 years. I, significant. I think the, the trust is evident more in the fact that they've made so many signings this summer and uh, 
I think it's too early to judge what that value means right now before we find out what players leave between now and the end of the window. Um, obviously, there's been a little bit of speculation about Tavernier, but the big one is Morelos. So we could sit here just now and say that's per- that's evidence that Dave King is backing his man and he's willing to, sp- willing to splash out millions. And regardless of what happens with Morelos, he has clearly shown enough trust in him to give him four million up front or however much it ends up being for Hellander. But if it turns out that we open up tomorrow's papers and Morelos is away down south for 10 million or whatever well then we know how this 4 million materialised um, I suppose that the, the counter argument to that would be though that they don't have to spend that mil- that, that money that, that they generate from Morelos, arguably um, you could say that looking at Rangers accounts over the last few years you might expect them to take any big fee from, from Morelos and uh, spend maybe, say it's 10 million, spend 2 million of it and then bank the rest to cover the losses that have been incurred. But it looks like they, if they are going to spend Morelos money, that would still, for me, be a significant outlay and a significant point of difference to what you might expect. I don't think fans would accept that, though. I mean, as much as people understand, for pragmatic reasons, Rangers wanting to be financially stable, and I think they can, let's say it's £10 million. I've no idea what a final fee for Morelos would be, but let's say it's £10 million. Um, I don't think uh, I think there's a balance to be struck you can pay 4 million up front potentially up to 6 for Hellander and still make a sizable contribution to uh, Rangers financial pot as well um, and strike that balance but I think if Rangers only spent 2 million from the profits from selling their best player in the transfer window fans would be up in arms about it and rightly so I think uh, there are positions that Gerard has identified that still need uh, improvement in, and one of them is centre-back, and he's now, it looks like he's got that with Ellender. But I think as well, if Morelos does go, and it is, say, £10 million, I think Rangers fans won't be content with just Defoe up front as well, because Lafferty is almost certainly on his way out. If Gerard can make that happen, he will be on his way out. Morelos, even if he doesn't go in this window... You don't see him being at Rangers for another couple of years. Um, but I think there is a really good chance he will go in this window. And then who do you have? Defoe, who's shown, particularly for his age, um, a great attitude at Rangers and has been a really good understudy for Morelos. But you couldn't expect a guy, no matter how fit he is at his age, to be the first choice to lead the line next season or this season. So I think, uh, I, I think Rangers fans will be expecting, if Morelos goes... That would explain where the money's come from, Hellander, but they would also be expecting more to be spent on another striker as well. Do you think, Craig, that uh, this is uh, bad news for Nikola Katic? Because he played extremely well towards the end of last season when he was partnered with Conor Goldson. Joe Worrell obviously dropped out, having played most of the season. And uh, I certainly looked at that partnership and thought Rangers looked a lot more comfortable with those two there than they did with Goldson and Worrell. My feeling was that they probably deserved a crack at the start of this season, uh, uh, being the first choice pairing. But now it looks like uh, Steven Gerrard has had other ideas, and you have to say that um, it's not great for for Katic because he'll look at that and think, "Well, that's a huge obstacle for me to get in first team football." Rangers spending this kind of money on a, a Sweden international, they're not going to necessarily want to put him out the side, especially given the fact that he's left sided now. 
obviously there are options in terms of playing with a back three and things like that that could, could come into play. But in terms of Nico Katic's development, um, how do you assess this move? I mean, you're right in saying that you should be worried about it, but uh, when you flip that over, he should be really kind of trying to fight for his place. Now he's a young guy, what age is he, 22 years old? He's still got plenty of years ahead of him. And uh, you'd like to think that Rangers supporters will see the best players on the park who are challenging week in, week out. Uh, you never know with injuries and with them competing in, in the league, in the cup and hopefully in the Europa League that they have that strength and depth there. So I think in one hand, Kat, it should be, you know, should be looking at that and to say that's a call out to me and my performances to date with the club. But he's still got plenty of years ahead of him and I think that it doesn't look like he's going to be sold uh, in the transfer window. And uh, I think he should just put his head down and, and keep working hard and trying to get into that starting lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Rangers need four centre backs, don't they? I mean, I know they didn't use Gareth McCauley an awful lot last year, but any big club nowadays, with the amount of uh, fronts that Rangers are fighting yeah. on, they, they need more depth than just three players to fit two positions for a whole season, don't they, Adam? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're a Rangers fan, you're expecting, hoping, no, I'd say expecting to get through all these Europa League qualifiers, which is already quite a sizable chunk of games. Then you make it through to the Europa League group stage, you're adding at least another about six games. Six games, yeah. Um, you'd also be expecting a title challenge that takes it to the, you know, to the very end of the season, whether they win it or not, you're expecting to be there or thereabouts this season. You're wanting to be fighting in the League Cup and the Scottish Cup as well. So that's potentially four tournaments, one of which you would be looking to be in at least up until certain near Christmas, and the rest you still want to be uh, in the League Cup in November or whatever, and then by May you're still competing in the Scottish Cup and the Premiership. That is a hell of a lot of fixtures to be playing in the season. The I think the Into the 60s for the season, well, that's for well, sure. The, the figure I was trying to remember there was that Callum McGregor at Celtic was at 69, 69 games, games yeah. last season. So Plus, you're, you're taking in, for a lot of these guys, international games as well. So you're picking up injuries along the way. Fatigue starts to play a factor, particularly as you head towards the end of the season. So you want, in every position, really, you want two guys that you would trust. So for two, if you've got two centre-backs and you're starting 11, you want two backups that Gerard could be able to trust. Um, and so I think Hellander's obviously kind of headline name here, but I think Katic will still have a part to play. Absolutely right. We're going to move on to Shinsuke Nakamura, who, aged 41, has signed another one-year deal in the J League. Well, it's the, the second tier, I think, of uh, the Japanese uh, league setup. What are your memories, Craig, of this player? He was quite the technician when he came to Scotland. I don't think a lot of us knew that much about him. He'd, he'd spent some time, I think, in Perugia in Italy, and uh, people had talked about his, his technical qualities there, but he really showed what he can do in Scotland. Just out with his speciality of free kicks, it was I would put it down to two words, which are pure elegance, you know, on a type that Scottish football has rarely seen before. He looked like he's wearing slippers on the park. He just... So comfortable on the ball, very good passing, and as I mentioned, his dead ball skills were second to none. He was definitely one of the finest players ever to play in Scottish football. And uh, I think just a general excitement of a Japanese player coming to Scottish football and doing well, you know. It's kind of set up against him, language barriers, uh, but cultural barriers. But he was a guy who was playing for Celtic dominating for Celtic, scoring massive goals for Celtic in the league and in Europe. 
and doing well and he was just putting to bed that kind of urban myth that Far Eastern players or Japanese players or, or exotic players for want of a better term can't come into Scottish football knuckle down, work hard and get their just rewards and rightly so he's regarded as an absolute legend the Celtic fans for what he gave to the club yeah, he was the kind of player, Adam, that even opposition fans will respect just for, I think, as Craig says, elegance, just quality on the ball and, and giving Scottish football that sprinkling of stardust that we often miss. Yeah, well, I mean, as much as you don't like playing against players like that, you do. they are the sort of players that you tell people, oh, I remember seeing him when he came to play against us, you know. Um, and he did score, he, he was a scorer of big goals, Nakamura. I keep going to call him the camera. I don't know if you've ever seen the viral video about him with the the wee boy. No, no. I can I'll, I can only do the edited version of this on here. But there's a wee boy, and I think he's looking at like his football stickers or whatever, and he's pronouncing all the Celtic players, but he can't pronounce Oi. Nakamura's <laughs> Nakamura's name, and he's yeah. like Shinsky Nakamura, and then you just hear this voice from the hall, and it says his dad going Shinsuke Nakamura, yeah. Do ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's probably my main memory of him. But uh, aside from that, I think you, you look back at goals like the absolute screamer he scored against Rangers at Celtic Park. You think about that vital goal against Kelly at Rugby Park as well. Those are those are moments where it's such a cliche. But when you have a guy who's got as good a left foot as that, free kicks are almost like a penalty. And there's always a sense of anticipation, like a buzz when he's lining it up. And uh, unlike some players like, say, Ronaldo, who actually, for all the spectacular goals he scored, doesn't have a great free-kick ratio. Roberto Carlos ratio. is the same. Yeah, These yeah. guys live off two or three Exactly. Yeah. You remember the, the Roberto Carlos goal against France, but he probably barely... I mean, I'm sure there'll be someone saying, no, you got this wrong, he scored 70 free-kicks, but I highly doubt it. But Nakamura, he was... He didn't convert every single one, but he, there were a lot of memorable free kicks with Nakamura. And he is the type of player that even if he wasn't, even if he was playing against you, you'll remember. Oh yeah, he was some player. It was great to watch him up for up close. Okay, well, we're going to move on now to the UEFA Women's Under-19 Championships, which will be played here in Bonnie, Scotland, from the 16th to the 28th of July. With Scotland qualifying as hosts, Pauline Hamill's troops will play against France, the Netherlands and Norway in the eight-team tournament. Our man Adam Miller spoke to the Scotland manager about the tournament earlier on today. What lessons do you think your team can take from the senior team's performance at the World Cup this summer? I think in, I think what we take is inspiration. Yeah. I think if you look at our senior team and going to a World Cup for the first time and really competing the way they did in the first two games against the third and seventh best teams in the world and I think that that's a wee moment to reflect and say that is what we competed against yeah. um, the massive strides we've taken forward, we're going into the last game against Argentina and we're really really comfortable for 70 minutes And but bar the last 20 minutes you know it would have been and was a fantastic World Cup for our players Yeah. Um, I think in terms of how you can relate that to under-19s, under I don't feel there's a real comparable, to be honest, because mm-hmm. at national team level, our players are professional yeah. and have been for many of them between 8 and 12 years. Mm-hmm. That 8 and 12 years of being a professional player gives you a chance to compete. Yeah. We're working with young players who you know, are developing. They're making their way in our Premier League 
Um, some of them are playing, some of them aren't. Some of them are not even playing in the Premier League. Yeah. So I think it's it's not comparable, but I think in terms of inspiration and what we can give to the next generation of young players coming to watch our games, mm-hmm. I think that we've got a real responsibility there to go out and actually do our absolute best against this high-level opposition. And when players are at that under-19 level, um, is the priority for a tournament like this, is the priority, you know, win your games at all costs, or is it more about development and testing yourself against the best players? I think there has to be an element of realism. Yeah. Um, we're playing against the best seven teams in Europe. Yeah. Some of them are the best in the world. You're mm-hmm. probably talking about a, a seven size team that are the best in the world. Mm-hmm. I think for us, there's two trying to do our absolute best and that's what we'll do our preparation's been great our yeah. players have done fantastic especially since the start of 2019 we've had some great performances and some good results in La Manga and then here against England under 18 we have to continue that we, we won't be happy coming out of that tournament if we don't continue the progress we've made Yeah. then you have to look and say the opposition level is really really high so there has to be a reality check at some point mm-hmm. um, but for us you know we'll go out and we'll approach every game we've got and really use this experience no matter the outcome um, to be a really positive one for these players and this next generation of players really You're going to be doing it in front of home crowds as well so uh, yeah. France at St Mirren Park Norway at Fur Hill and then back to St Mirren Park for the game against the, the Netherlands um, yeah. What what will it mean to the to the players themselves and to you as well to be playing those games in front of Scottish crowds? I think it's really fantastic. You know, our young players, they, if any of them have got aspirations to go to the next level, that's the reality. The reality is you play in front of people. Yeah. And I think that that's another new thing, though, our home finals playing in front of people, and that's a great challenge in itself. Yeah. However, I do think that it's great for, one, the fans to actually a level and for them to see what the level is because I think it's it's very easy to imagine what the level is but until we actually see it mm-hmm. you know it lets people actually see that as the level we're trying to compete at and it allows our clubs to see it yeah um, it allows the next generation of young girl and boy players to actually see that's the best players in the Europe and world that's playing out there. Yeah. And I think if we can capture the imagination of all the people coming to watch and, you know, they can see and understand the level and see how much our girls are given to compete yeah. at that level, then it's only going to be a positive experience. All the best in the tournament. Thanks a lot. Okay, Adam, it was uh, yourself that spoke to Pauline there. Um, one of the things that struck me about this tournament, uh, tickets are just £2 for yeah. adults and a pound uh, for concessions. Is this the kind of um, really nice way for families to enter into watching football to see if they, they like it as a spectator sport? Yeah, I think it's massively affordable. £2 for a ticket, £1 to bring a kid along. I think uh, if you can get to one of those games, you really should. Um, I think it's going to be one of these things for for kids that maybe not been taken to games before. It's a sort of way of easing people in, you know I mean? And... A, a, a ticket price like that and I, th- I think it's going to be a, a memorable thing for young players um, I was speaking I was speaking to Pauline about it earlier on and you know obviously the conversation about how 
Scotland would like to go out and win every game, but so much of it is just about testing yourself against really, really good opposition. And these are the best players in Europe. So to be able to play against players like that in front of your home fans is going to be a really memorable experience for the players and I think a good occasion for the fans as well. And of course, of course Scotland have qualified as hosts. Yeah. So they really are going up against the seven best sides in Europe and them. Exactly. Um, that is, I think that is the way for the, for the men's senior team to end the World Cup curse is just to host it more often. Um, but yeah, it is. It's, it, I don't, I've no idea if Scotland would have qualified otherwise, but certainly they are up against the seven best teams in Europe and Pauline was at kind of pains to stress that. And I think it will be a big learning curve, but also a be invaluable experience for the players. Okay, well, the games are at McDermott Park in Perth, uh, St. Mirren Park in Paisley, Firhill in Glasgow, obviously, and Fourth Bank in Stirling. Pop onto the SFA website if you want to book tickets. Um, and as I say, they are just £2 for adults, £1 for concessions. If Scotland do make it into the latter stages, it's then £5 and £2. So great value to be had there. Well, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website, on our social media channels, on Facebook and on Twitter at football underscore Scott. You can contact me at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can contact Craig at Glasgow Mixtape. And you can contact Adam at Old Firm Facts 1. Until next time, thanks for listening. Listening.